Thriving, Not Surviving, with your host, Gina Gardner. To lead others, you first need to be the best version of yourself and lead from a place of wholeness. Motivation, empowerment, leadership, personal and spiritual development are just a few of the topics you will hear on Thriving, Not Surviving. So sit back and enjoy the show with your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there, and welcome to BBS Radio Thriving Not Surviving. I'm Gina Gardner, and I am so pleased to be able to welcome my guest today, Lisa Crofton. Lisa and I both belong to the the Veranda uh, Networking Group, and we found that we have a great deal in common, and I'm really excited that she's going to be sharing her story and some of her expertise with you. Now, I'd like to read her bio. You know by now that I tend to read the bios because... It's taken a lifetime for people to actually get to this place, and I don't want to miss any of the richness. So Lisa Crofton, RMT, is an award-winning life and business coach, specialising in helping others struggling behind self-imposed walls of doubt, fear, and conditioning to be seen, heard, and accepted so that they can live freer, abundant, and happier lives. Lisa combines her background in corporate and small business communications and marketing with spiritual coach training for a powerful method, service first, coaching for individuals, coaches and therapists and organizations desiring connective communication, greater engagement and forward movement. Besides her private coaching practice, Lisa owns and runs a positive living centre, a specialised co-working working space for growing holistic practitioners. And that, I believe, is it, tell us where that's based, Lisa. That is in Connecticut, in the US. Yeah. Lovely. So, Lisa, share with us, please, if you would, your story. How did you get to here? Hmm. It's such an interesting thing. I'm really one of those people that is always moving forward, so I don't often look back to see where I've been. But when I do, I realize that um, I've sort of always been on this path. And um, what what sort of uh, catapulted my focus and uh, my my uh, full-time coaching practice was my own demise. And I think a lot of people, um, I, I think a lot of people grow from that point of crisis or they get that great wake up call and then they go, what am I doing? And so I've been bouncing, um, I've always been an entrepreneur and for a very short time in between um, now and, the, and, and way back, um, I actually was working in a corporate environment and I was not a happy girl. And on the side, part-time, I was doing all of these things that I do now, wanting them to be more. And in fact, I'm a, a professional writer as well. So I was writing a newspaper column. I had a greeting card line. I was writing for a, a greeting card company. I was coaching um, uh, after-school programs. And I was still contracted to work with um, businesses in a coaching capacity. But during the day, I was actually working a full-time job I was not happy at. When I finally got the courage to say, I don't want to do that anymore, um, they counter-offered with something I couldn't say no to. And because I was still trapped in that mindset of, I can't let other people down, not the corporation, not my family, financially, I said yes. 
So I was working now all my other activities and this part-time job doing the same thing, staying with them, um, still quite stressed and unhappy. And when I say stressed, it was to the max. So I was proverbial, burning that candle at both ends and the middle. And one day my body said, that's it. I don't know what you're doing. Stress got to me and I had a grand mal seizure, which if you don't know what that is, it's a, it's a complete and total body shutdown and your brain seizes as well. And so from that moment on, I really, uh, I went into this journey of resistance because first of all, I always went 180 miles an hour with my hair on fire, working toward perfection, working to please everyone, working to make my life work. So wherever I was, I was always planning on being somewhere else. And it caught up to me in a really serious way. And honestly, uh, with that diagnosis, which ended up being late onset ep epilepsy, it sort of blew my mind because I thought it was a one-time thing brought on by the stress of that day and I'd get over it and I was ready to move on already. And what I learned from my physicians, from my neurologist, they said, no, 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 no. If you don't slow down, this is going to keep it. This is your way of life. This is what will happen. And I, I had a, it took me a long time, Gina, to really wrap my brain around the fact that I was actually being stopped. And so I went a couple of years in this really um, bad place. The, the medication that was trying to control the seizures did a number on my, my brain. I was slowing down. My thinking was very uh, garbled. My writing was non-existent because I couldn't carry two words together. Um, I was often tired. I, the part of my brain that was affected, ironically, was words, memory, and language. And you know, I went into that. Are you kidding? Is this a? This is must be a cosmic joke. What is happening here? Couldn't you have broken my legs? Or couldn't you? Have, I literally went through that kind of thinking because I thought I count on my brain for so much in terms of words, language, and memory. And now you, you know, I felt I was incapacitated. So um, I learned the hard way that until you surrender until you take a really good look at how you're living your life and how you are responding to things and how you see yourself, nothing will change. And so finally one day, ding, 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 I got the idea that maybe I should probably look closer and see how I got myself to this place. And when I did, I started seeing things that really seriously needed to change. I was your typical people pleaser, perfectionist, um, never spoke up for what I really I blinded or I tried to go do an end run instead of just verbally saying, no, I, I really don't want to do that. Or I'd like to do this, but um, I, I need more time to do it. And, and I never really asked for anything for myself. Everything was about two things, pleasing others and building an image so everybody loved who I was. So when people ask me now, how'd that work out for you? The truth is it didn't. So I had to figure out how do I how do I deal with stress? How do I look at life differently? How do I step forward with enough courage to be authentically me and be okay with that? Even if people walked out of my life, even if I had to say no to things, even if it wasn't what everyone else wanted from me. So um, ironically, I, I remembered someone in my past. I'm a very intuitive person, and that was the other part, is that I didn't allow that. I, I get an intuition. I knew it was there. I knew how strong it was, and I'd still look the other way because other people might think I was crazy. So I kept that to myself as well. And I started to allow that to open up in me, and it opened up so quickly. And then I started remembering what I was like as a child, and I remembered that's always who I was. 
and yet I would always feel different like most intuitives or I would feel like I was on the outside looking in or I wouldn't understand it and there was no one to talk to about it, nobody who recognized it. So I just sort of lived with it in this strange, um, um, quiet way, I guess. And when I started to let that open up, I sought this person out. I remembered her from my past and ironically it was an intuitive development class that I'd taken years before but didn't take it all the way through because it scared me so much I stopped. Yes. So I went back in, uh, I, I went back in to find her and I did and she ended up working privately with me. And one day we were having a conversation, one of our initial conversations, and I asked her if she'd ever heard of the four agreements and her head whipped around and she said, have I heard the four agreements? She said, I am an apprentice of Don Miguel and his mother, who consecrated me as a healer. Uh, and she said, um, I, I, I live by this. And I thought I was a newbie, but I was starting to live by the four agreements. That was one, to, one of the methods that I started using step by step to bring me back into myself. And so I thought, how strange is that that I'm hooking up with her now? And here she is, the person who I need the most. And so for two years, I was Toltecly trained, which we call that Toltec, the Toltec way of life. Um, and so I learned a whole new ancient way of being, and it changed everything for me. And so every part of my coaching, every part of my teaching, every part of my writing now reflects that way of life using those four agreements that I instituted and lived by. And it changed everything for me. And the good news is two years ago, oh, it's almost three now, um, almost three years ago, I was cleared of that neurological condition, much to the surprise of my, my doctors and the experts. Um, and everybody, they would ask me all the time, well, how did you do that? And I said, I live a totally different lifestyle. I live a healing lifestyle. And so, you know, they, I think, wish most of their, their patients could get to that place. Um, but they, they released me with, with one condition, one reminder. That if I went back into that same way of thinking and living, it could happen again. Yeah. And so that's my motivation every day. I never want to live like that again. I never want that to be part of my lifestyle. So my motivation is not only to stay healthy for myself, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically, but I want others, um, and I recognize it instantly in others. So, um, you know, I, I'm sort of your best friend if you're trying to get over those things that are overwhelming you and, and really keeping your life from the greatness it could be. Brilliant. It's interesting, isn't it, that the story that you offer us is a really common one of people not living their purpose who are, um, who are working very, very long hours trying to appease and please everybody um, and who put themselves at the end of their list of priorities. Yeah. And I, you know, if I had a, a dollar for every person that I've spoken to and worked with um, that, for whom that was a common thing, I'd be very, very well off. And yeah. I think, I don't know what your view is, but I do think whilst I don't want to make this gender specific, I think mm -hmm. women are conditioned to do that probably more so than most men and that there's this feeling I've got to I've got to do um I've, I've got to be a good girl I've got to I've got to do what people expect me to do exactly. and that's fine if it happens to be in line with your with your purpose but dangerous if not and absolutely and I find um because my men have not been a stranger to my practice 
And I find that most of them suffer the same things, but in the masculine expectation. So they may not feel like they have to be uh, quiet about what they want, or they may not feel like um, they have to be that good guy. But what they do think is that they have to fill certain roles in terms of their strength and their determination and their success. And so oftentimes they too do not speak their truth. They don't know how to come out into who they are. And they, they play those roles as if there is no room yes. for improvement. So in some ways, they're actually more attractive because they if they finally have come to me or you or someone like us, it's because someone has finally encouraged them to be able to be vulnerable and and that, that it's a safe thing. And oftentimes it's because the women in their life have already taken this track. And that if you need to go, it'll be great for you. But very, very few of them will do this comfortably on their own, unless they're of the younger generation. The younger uh, it's generation, been a sea change, hasn't there? Absolutely, yeah. And so you, you do, you see younger men absolutely demanding, hey, I want my moment where I can be vulnerable, where I can talk about this, where I can be as equal as my, the women in my life. And so that's a, it, we're going to see that change over and over again in, in the future, and it'll get stronger. I think this, this, the, the whole issue of people recognizing that vulnerability is a strength, right. <laughs> but making a, a huge difference between being vulnerable and being a victim. And yeah. I think there are so many people who, who think that in being, that, you know, poor me is being vulnerable when actually it's being a victim where being vulnerable is actually being authentic. And if you are um, sharing the fact that, that you are, that you are, have emotional issues or spiritual issues and sharing those and asking for help. Um, yeah. I, I think there's a direct link between vulnerability and self-forgiveness. Because I think a lot of times we're not we're not willing to say that we have weaknesses in any area, and that comes from the same thing that was was inflicting me, is that I didn't want to show anyone that I was less than what they expected of me, and so if I made a mistake, forgiveness wasn't even in the picture. I would beat myself up for weeks. I could never even think about the mistake. It also caused me to be defensive, and it would. Um, I would defend my actions until everybody gave up and went, okay, okay, you see it your way. So that need to be something, give something, say something, or do something in order to be worthy yes. uh, really keeps us from being able to go, oh, I, okay, I mess up every day. I mess something up every day and it's all right. And men especially, they don't make mistakes. They can't make mistakes, not allowed. No. So they particularly have a really tough time saying, Listen, I'm just human, and sometimes I goof up, and you know it's all right. So I'm gonna figure out what I did, learn from it, and move on. So that forgiveness piece really has to go hand in hand with that vulnerability. I think so too. Interesting for me, I think the number of, of people who who fear getting it wrong, and yet the realization that it's in the getting it wrong or the failing, because that's the word that most people use that the learning goes on. For me, the only failure is that you fail to try or that you fail to learn when you get it wrong. Yeah. But ultimately, if we stayed in our comfort zone and we did nothing, that we only did what we knew and we didn't 
uh, give ourselves the opportunity to, to, to develop and grow, we'd still be living in caves. Oh, yeah, we would, we would be stuck in our own bubbles of, of uh, what, we, what our version is of life, and, and there would be no growth. So we, we definitely, you know, ironically, I've always been driven. I've always been a driven individual. So my fear of trying was never an issue. But, and it wasn't the failing at the bigger tasks that would bother me. It was more of those every day I hurt someone's feelings or I was thoughtless or I let someone down. So I would literally physically um, drive myself into the ground to fulfill an obligation because I didn't. I, I could not live with letting someone down. No. And, and that's, uh, that was really, those were the types of little failures in my mind that were more important than the big things. So I'd be out there, you know, leading this and taking over this and running that and doing this, but that part didn't bother me. But the part, those little real human connections, that's where my failure would, would loom largest around me. And so I think, you know, we often have such different standards for ourselves as we do other people. We wouldn't expect other people to do it, nor would we go on at other people in the way that that voice in our head goes on. You know, you shouldn't have done this or you should have done that. And why didn't you? Yeah. But I'd like to move on because one, in terms of our time, I want to make sure that I cover some of the things that we haven't talked about because you have such a richness to offer. And I'd like to talk to you about the, uh, the, the self service, your service first, what you mean in terms of, of the work that you do when you're talking about service first. What's yeah. that all about? Oh, I'm really glad that you're asking me that. Um, you know, I've like you, I've been around a long time doing doing uh, these type of work, and what I've noticed is a, a huge change in the industry, especially the online industry. And coaches are being born every day. It's such a valuable service. It's such a valuable tool for people to seek out and use to, to benefit their own lives. But what I'm seeing is that there is a focus being taken off the actual service of others and put on. Uh, the, em the emphasis is now being put on making a grand living or, um, you know, the, the more likes you get or building a huge online presence. And, um, and then also focusing on those business tools that we're being made to believe are so much more important than what we're actually doing, which are branding and, you know, websites and all our social media presences and that sort of thing. And I'm afraid that brand new coaches are losing sight of what really makes the practice successful. But that's service first. When you really truly help and connect with people and help them find their own successes in life, that will speak for itself and your, your business will grow exponentially and organically. And we're not helping coaches figure out how to be really good coaches. We're helping them figure out how to run their business side. That stuff will come and certainly is necessary. But first, you have to be good at what you do or all the rest falls apart. There, there's no sense in building a great branding if you don't come through. And so we need to hear our clients say, this is what I got from working with this person, and here's why. Yeah. And that, you know, that organic growth is what really makes us sustainable. And then there are, you know, so if we're, if we're focusing on listening to what clients actually need and then serving them, you're going to build an exponentially more successful um, brand, if you will. And I think from, if you look at the user end, you know, there's so much white noise, particularly on the internet, people saying, you know, come and do this program, come and do that. And there's no sense in many of these in terms of what's in it for 
the client. Yes. And I think, I know that from my point of view, I've probably gone to so far the other uh, in the other direction that there's, it's been so much about service that at times I perhaps neglected the business model in a way that, that uh, maybe would have been better. But it just seems to me, if you have a life of purpose, if you want to feel truly happy and fulfilled, then for me, it's about service. And that doesn't matter whether you're a coach or whether you're an electrician or a politician or whoever. I think it's in that being able to support and help other people that you show the very best of you. Yes. And I think maybe now in these particular times, we're in the middle of this unprecedented pandemic and people, um, whether they're in business or they're, they are just home with children or whatever it might be, even if they're retired, people are now becoming more heightened to the purpose of connection. And, and so now um, that applies in every part of our lives. Uh, and so I think, you know, what you and I are, are, are saying is that if we are connected with what is truly important, then people know it, feel it, and will connect with it. Yes. And, and I think, you know, when you look around and you think, um, right now, we are, as a, as a human race, we're starting to look to each other mm-hmm. for support and for knowledge and for that, that connection, for lack of a better word. But that's the bottom line in business. People do business with, with um, folks that other people recommend. Yeah. And we trust each other more than anything. More than putting our finger in a, in a phone book or on a listing or, you know, an ad on Facebook, we want to know who's used them and do you like them and why. And, and we're going to trust that over anything. We don't just um, drive down the street and go, I think I'll use that doctor. Mm-hmm. We start asking around, who do you use? What's the word? How are they? What's their reputation? Yeah. And that gives us a sense of, okay, I'm feeling more comfortable now. We don't, we're not, most people, not everyone, but most people are more comfortable doing business with someone who is a, a vetted individual. And so we're missing that part. But if you are, like you said, following your true purpose and getting in and, and honestly um, focused on it, you are going to be thinking, how does what I do help someone else? But you'll think of it in reverse. You'll say, what do people need and what do I have that can make a difference for them? Yeah. And that's where, that's really where the rubber meets the road. And that's when we start really doing something that's valuable and um, productive, not just for ourselves, but for our clients first. And that's how it works. Yeah. So in the few minutes we have left, there's two things that I'd like to, to, to do. One is uh, in a moment, to, you, I know you've got a great offer to offer and let people know how to find you. But imagine, you know, people who are listening to this, whether they're a, a coach or they're in, they are, they they feel that they would like the services of a coach. What are the advice that you would give them? You know, how to move forward and to do that effectively. Yeah. So this is an this is an inward journey, and I think that any time we take any kind of a journey, we need to have a guide. Somebody who's been there, somebody who can cut through the, the nonsense and get you right to where you need to be. And I think coaches do a really good job of that. I think in, in, uh, as opposed to perhaps a elongated therapy or uh, reading a book. You know, a lot of people will tell me, I read that four agreements, it's awesome. But they have no idea how to integrate it or apply it in real life. 
And it's the same thing with taking a, either a, a spiritual journey or a journey of awakening or a, a journey into the self, which is the only way that we start to really shift or change. Yeah. And coaches know how to help you get there because it isn't about the coach. It's about you. And so a good coach will take a peek at you and go, all right, so here's how I'm going to guide you. Um, you know, according to your assets, your beliefs, your skills, your, your eagerness, um, here's what I'm going to suggest, and here's how, how we're going to connect. So a really good coach doesn't give you the answers. A really good coach helps you find them. Yeah. Right? So yeah. yeah, and I think uh, we aren't really always sure what does a coach do. So just like an athlete, right? just like athlete. Isn't it? For every person and yeah. every coach because you bring you to the, to the table. That's it, right? So in, I think in essence, a coaching relationship is just a really – fantastic partnership between two people who have the same goal to get you where you need to go bottom line and i would say to coaches you know be aware that not everybody's going to be your right client Correct. and be as a, a potential client you know you've got to resonate with the person and if you don't feel that connection and don't feel that they are fighting your corner right. and are ready and confident enough to support, but also challenge you. You know, yeah. I sometimes say to my clients, you know, my bullshit meter is really ringing here. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if you lie to me, but you're lying to yourself now. So, you know, you need somebody who's got the, the, the skill and the confidence to do that, but somebody who does it in a way that works for you. Yeah, and, and that's the point. You know, you, you can match yourself up with any kind of a coach, and if you respond better to somebody who is matter-of-fact, that's who you'll go with. If you need some more nurturing or somebody who is uh, a little more um, comes from that spiritual side, you're going to resonate. It's always about resonation. So I, I agree with you 100% there, yes. So your offer what are you offering our, our viewers, our listeners today? Yeah, well, it's pretty exciting because the timing is perfect. Um, I have really created a program that is a culmination of everything that I have ever taught. Uh, and it is called the Serve First Coaching Model. And it is for clients, uh, for clients, it is for coaches, therapists, and trainers who are really struggling to get into that rhythm, uh, into having a sustainable in-demand business. We don't want to every single week look for new clients. It's part of the practice, but uh, I think you and I, we both have similar backgrounds. It was years and years and years before we even searched for a client because they just came to us. And there is an art to that, creating a practice where clients find you. Uh, so this program is a 12-week online program uh, where you will get undivided attention. My groups are small. I will only take between four and six at each of my sessions. Um, you're getting 12 weeks of concentrated effort that goes from, all right, so what are these What are these undeniably effective methods? There are 10, I believe, tell-all uh, uh, signs that tell you exactly where your client is blocked. So first we start there. We start with understanding the client mind. Then we, then we try to understand what is the essence of you as a coach and how do you connect with your right client. And then um, how do you get their attention? How do they find you? Then the second module, that second month, really is about uh, uh, the, the process, that initial conversation all the way through designing their programs and creating sustainable programs around them so that you start to leverage your practice and create that sustainability. And lastly, it's really about creating your reputation and understanding your uniqueness and how you leverage and roll that out as a coach 
Um, now you can now you can look into all the bells and whistles now that you know who you are and who you're working with and how you work with them. Yeah. Sounds brilliant. So how do they get hold of you? So they can go onto my website, which is lisacrofton.com. That's pretty simple. Uh, or they can contact me directly through my Facebook page, which is Lisa M. Crofton, uh, Master Coach. They can find me. I think we can give them all the links at some point. All of those will be in the, in the show notes. Um, uh, I'm happy to receive an email as well. So that's, uh, and my, and the, yeah, I'm sure that will be there as well. Anyway, you can find me. I'm around for sure. And if you have any difficulties, you can always contact me through the show um, and we'll put you in touch. Thank yeah. you so much for being part of the show today. It's been a real pleasure to have you. Um, yes. And I just really value our relationship and look forward to that deepening uh, even more over time. Yes, I do. Thank you very much. Um, we'll be back after a very short break for the genuine conversations with Rachel and I. So don't go away. Um, we'll see you very soon. Bye-bye now. If you're a businesswoman who is overwhelmed or suffering from imposter syndrome who is tired of having one disastrous relationship after another, or who finds it hard just to say no. Well, it's time to take care of you. You get the best out of life by contacting Gina Gardner, relationship coach and best-selling author and motivational speaker. Just visit genuinely-u.com or you can email Gina directly at gina at genuinely-u.com. Take action now. Start to thrive rather than simply survive. Imagine being a highly successful, enlightened leader who is in complete alignment with your best self, who makes a positive difference on a daily basis. Let me introduce Gina Gardner, an expert in developing transformational leadership with over 30 years of experience. Gina has developed a unique and unrivaled approach to help you step into your genuine power to become an enlightened leader. And when you do, amazing things happen. Go to enlightenedleadership.co or email Gina at gina at genuinely-u.com. Hi there, and welcome back to the second part of uh, the show. As you know, um, we have a genuine chat, my friend uh, Rachel Davidson and I, and we look at a variety of themes and we hope it gives you food for thought. Today's theme is around abuse and the legacy of abuse. I've worked with many people who've been abused in their childhoods, and there certainly is 
a legacy Mm, and whether that's abuse has been sexual or emotional or physical um there is a huge um weight i think on the people who have been abused in terms of they're working out whether it's something that innately is wrong with them and that's why they've been abused was it their fault um can they trust people the whole thing around abuse um is laden with emotional uh, pitfalls. And I would say if you're listening to this and you have been uh, the victim of abuse, please get help because there is a future, a great future for those who, um, who choose to deal with it. The legacy of abuse is one of the big themes in Rachel's third novel. And the, 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 um, the, the Hope of Us is the, the title. Yeah. Um, and Darnell is uh, a major character within yes, the book. Yeah. Do you want to just uh, briefly set out for us um, enough of the story around the abuse mm-hmm. and the legacy so people can, we can use that as the vehicle to, to discuss this? Sure. OK. So without giving away the, the book, yeah. <laughs> go buy it, folks. <laughs> <clears throat> Darnell is a character who... <clears throat> He's the father of the of of two children, and um, he's features all the way through the three three book series. But the third book really concentrates on him as, if you like, the hero, um, because Darnell has had a childhood of abuse, and um, has made decisions and has used his free will and choice in life to to go down a particular direction. Yeah. On the face of it, he's extremely successful. Um, He's very rich. He owns his own um, law firm. um, And uh, and so generally speaking, we would look at him as a paragon of society and think, oh, well done him. Okay, but he is extremely cruel and he takes every opportunity he can to wield power. And um, he is the definition of a loveless man. Um, And certainly in the first book and possibly in the second one. Um, he is a character that is, uh, is a useful tool for the storytelling, but but is a little bit parodied because of it. Yeah, We're, you're not meant to like Darnell. Yes. Except in the third book, I think you will end up liking him. Well, having read <clears throat> the books, and I've read them more than once, I think you're absolutely right. In the first two books, he is a, a character that, that you look at and think this is somebody who who has all the trappings of a great life and his life could Mm. have been so rich, Mm. but it's a very thin, empty life. He he has great wealth, great power, great control. He is utterly and uh, definitely emotionally bankrupt. Um, And I I sort of painted that character really because, you know, I, I do want to challenge what we in Western society um, definitely Western society, but actually also Eastern society too nowadays, um, what, what we consider to be a definition of success. And, and Darnell is a character that is most definitely successful, and yet, and yet, and yet. Um, the reason, I mean, the reason I came to, his, to the third book and the reason why, you know, this debate about uh, the legacy of abuse is um, having started off in the, 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 the series of books really not liking him and really um sort of you know wanting to do that kind of parody of what Mm -hmm. is success um 
I began to feel more and more like I was being unjust to him. And that there was, there was a particular book I wrote, read where there was a particular sentence which basically asked me, you know, why am I not giving this character redemption? Why do I withhold it from him? And the answer to that was, um, yeah, that is a bit unfair of me. And why is Darnell the way he is? So the third book answers the reason why Darnell is the way he is. And and then there's another character, the, the other main character is, is a, his granddaughter, Mona, who um, is essentially his, his redeemer um, in that she most definitely challenges him. And and through through that, the, the, the question is, you know, um, it, does he find his way to redemption? Does he find um, what what I think and, and what I hope my books put out into the world is that um, the act of loving the the this word love, which we bandy about a lot in 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 our lives, but I'm not sure that many people really do the work on understanding the real definition of of love in a in a spiritual you know universal divine sense Mm -hmm. so you know there are many types of love friendship romantic love mother father you know all of these sort of things but but then there is an overarching one okay and um and the question um that i that i would like to to know in my own sort of sense of self is you know this thing called love um why don't we use it more why, why why aren't we more connected to it why do we choose power and control um and what what kind of trouble does that get us into and what would it take to move somebody who is so deeply entrenched in in darkness and shadow living his legacy of abuse repeating his legacy of abuse what would it take to move somebody like that into the light that's what the third book answers <laughs> and if you think about society there are there's abuse at every level of society in terms of abuse of power if you think about um, the number of people that, who um, who are walking around who are saying nothing to anybody about the fact that as uh, children or as adults that they have been treated abominably mm. And that they hold close to their chest that scar, that wound that the abuse has created. Mm. And in my experience working with people who've been abused is that very often that comes with the sense that I'm not lovable, that nobody can love me because if I was lovable and capable of being loved, then that person would not have treated me in that way. I think people, and you know, again, I wrote a story about it and created a character. So I'm only going to reframe this this section in the sense of the character yeah. I created. But Darnell learns at a very early age that love is dangerous, and it is his love for his abuser that is the is the shard of glass in his heart. Yeah. Okay, it, it is not the actual act of abuse. It's not the it's not, wasn't it's the betrayal it wasn't the pain yeah. it, it, it was it was his love of the abuser that that really gets him because it is on that pivot point and and he goes forward thinking of love as as a particular thing mm-hmm. yeah and and he his fault such that it is one 
is that he doesn't bother to question it. Mm. He doesn't bother to to um, double check that his assumptions are correct. He doesn't go back and say, "Well, why did he behave like that?" And he doesn't. But, he doesn't go into that. He does eventually. <laughs> but I think very often. Well, first and foremost, the vast majority of abusers are people who are in positions of trust and you know them and the expectation is that they will treat you lovingly and when they don't, I think it's a double um, a double injury, if you like. Mm-hmm. So, And very often that abuse happens when you are small um, or not certainly not mature enough to recognise that there is a different way. And it's interesting for me how many um, how many of the people that I've worked with who've been abused, who talk almost use the same words. Uh-huh. I thought this is how it was. It wasn't until late, uh, and very often those children are kept um, isolated from other people. They're uh-huh. not allowed to go to other children's houses. They're not allowed to um, to have people at their house uh-huh. and they're told not to talk about it. There's this sense of, you know, you mustn't tell anybody either that's overtly said to them or they, they innately know that other people won't want to hear this or they feel that they won't be trusted. And so it's not until much, much later that they then start to examine what's gone on and recognize that this is not, um, what we would like to think as normal, although I think for a, bar, a, a much bigger group than um, one would hope, this has become their normal. I mean, when I was teaching, it was thought that one in 10 children were abused. They now think that that number is much higher. And we've recently gone, gone through lockdown and COVID, and one of the big concerns has been the significant increase in abuse of of children and of partners, mainly women, but not always. I've come across men who have been abused. Um, And that sense of uh, that that it has to be held as a secret um, is what stops many of them um, getting help. And I can remember when I was, uh, soon after I was appointed as head teacher or principal, um, I decided that it was important to do some training for the whole staff about um, disclosure of abuse oh. and it was unusual for um, people to um, have training if they weren't the teachers uh-huh. and yet most of disclosures were to a dinner lady or to uh, uh, an auxiliary because those were very often the the, the, the children had created a trusted uh-huh. relationship with them uh-huh. And so we were sitting in the staff room watching this um, training video and my secretary, who was 60 years old at the time, suddenly started to cry and uh, got up and rushed out of the room. And I followed her and she was a lady who was buried together. She was married. She had two children Uh and said, what earth's the matter? And it all came tumbling out that she had been abused as a child and she told nobody. Um, and the abuse had happened, you know, 45, 50 years beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many of you are sitting here and listening to this and thinking to yourself, yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got two clients at the moment, both were well, one in the 60s and one in the 70s, um, who were abused as children 
and one who has continued to have relationships where there's been abuse. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because um, that when people have behaved in a bullying manner, mm. that that's what she thinks she deserves. Mm. And so um, it's been allowed to carry on. Then the relationship's broken down and she's gone into the next one. Mm. Um, and that relationship has turned out to be abusive in a different way. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, mm. the boundaries have been crossed. Mm. Um, and for me, when I work with these people, one of the, the biggest... Um, the biggest healing opportunities is forgiveness. And we've talked a lot on the show, haven't we, about forgiveness being nothing to do with uh, or condoning the act or um, or forgetting the act. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, and I think it's, it's worth thinking about, my work has been with the people who've been abused. Very often they have, have, have come from a situation where the abuser has been abused. But I haven't as yet had any person who's come to me and said, I have abused, I need some help. And I think that's a really interesting one because if you go back to your character, Darnell, Mm. he didn't seek out help and say, I'm living in a loveless life, I have abused people. Um, That happened because somebody else acted in a very different way and sort of forced him to... Darnell, the character, was never going to do that. No. It was only because of the intent of his granddaughter and the challenges she gives him and the strength and power that that she has that matches his own, not in financial terms and certainly not... But in terms of intention. But in real terms, in real, you know, who, who she is versus who he is. She is able to actually meet him as an equal... And it's only because of her abilities um, that that he is he is given a definite reason in the story uh, why he cannot continue as as yeah. he has to. Uh, it's a story, you know. It, 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 not many real lives have to, you know, have a, a beginning, a middle, and an end like a story does. So, you know, um, I hesitate a little bit from talking, you know, about my story to somebody who really has. Uh, suffered in that sense because because a real life lived is one of of habits yeah. that you forget um self-beliefs that that um are probably untrue um laziness yeah a sense of what's the point and all this and th- this is what a real life it's why people can get to the age of 70 and and still be repeating the, the same old mistakes um as other people would view it as and, and be at the age of 70 in doing it. My character of Darnell, he does get to that point purely because of the mechanics of the book, yes. you know. <laughs> His granddaughter comes along at a certain age and she is of a certain age when she is able to challenge him. So he is of a, of a particular age. And, and he, he has taken the view that, that the answer to his abuse is to not risk. So he has shut down a particular side of himself and overemphasized other aspects of himself. And I think you see that a lot. And he is an abuser. He he definitely, but he doesn't come and to see that and until until he is forced to the point where he has to accept that yeah. his own abuser did that for a reason. 
And interestingly for me, I think that not only is he an abuser of other people, but the reality is that in closing down that part of himself, that's a form of abuse to himself because his life has been so limited by that situation. And if I think back to the the lady I was talking about before who told nobody, Mm. um, her life was coloured by that. She was somebody who her cup was definitely half empty. Uh She expected people to treat her uh, badly. She had very little self-worth and felt that she was, you know, what can I expect? You know, it's just me and I I have, Uh I've got nothing to offer. When the reality was that this was a, a woman who would have had a very different life, a very different relationship with her husband and her children, had she um, either not been abused or if she'd been able to um, talk about her abuse and actually deal with that and recognise that that was something that happened that shouldn't have done and that she didn't deserve it, but actually she could use that situation to grow and to to develop um, herself. And certainly those people that I know have worked and dealt with their abuse and recognize that they're strong resilient people Mm. um, and that they've been able to use that um, to go and live a more enriched life Mm. those are the people who um, are truly healed and in the healing very often heal other members of the family um, and in in some cases have actually been able to go and talk to their abuser and to to start the healing process with the abuser Mm. That takes courage. That takes a huge capacity, doesn't it, to um, to see this as a life lesson and an opportunity to grow. And I would suggest that most people need help to do that. Yeah. And whether that comes <laughs> in the form of um, an avenging angel um, or a, a granddaughter um, who's not been abused by him in quite the way. Um, that his children and his wife and so on but one could argue that by not giving of himself in a loving way um, that he has abused everybody that's come uh, across that you know he has been a lesser person in terms of his dealings with with people as a boss as a customer within family and so on but mainly with himself I mean you know uh Darnell, Darnell um, he he has lived all of his life um, basically running from what he knows is the deep, deep truth, and what he what he knew as a five year old. Yes, yeah. Um, but as it became more and more apparent that the, those around him weren't going to agree to what he, as a young child, innately knew was right and just, yeah. and what wasn't, it he um, he dived into into a, a you know power and, co- and control yes. was, was the most thing and you know and um and he does something um that haunts him and and he believes that the the what happens in book one is is down to him you know he he has this sense there's a another book that's worthy of reading which is lost connections by johan harry yes great book which is about depression mm-hmm. and uh, and um, again, the, the crazy approach that most people take towards depression. But he makes the point that his depression comes from a moment when he was abused by uh, a family member. 
And his depression comes from the this mindset, which is, I must have been to blame. I must have done something that in that way to deserve that that harsh treatment. And it was harsh. I must be bad. And his depression is basically a reaction to that belief system. But he, as he says in the book, he believes he came to that belief wrong that it that he accepts it is because it was easier to to put himself in as the bad guy the one who was responsible yeah. than it was to accept the reality of life which is terrible things can happen to you for no good reason mm. they just happen and life can be that random and that cruel yes. and to accept that is often harder than to give yourself the punishment yes so donnell punishes himself he doesn't think of it as a punishment <coughs> no. johan harry did not think of, of it's of just what, what they do isn't it? it it feels easier because what you're really saying to yourself is what can i con- control Troll. and often it is easier to attack oneself than it is to actually remain open and say and acknowledge what this world is a terribly beautiful cruel place at times so yeah, Don- Donnell has to um, has to go back to the beginning. He has to, and I think that's the the root of it. If you are going to deal with any of the challenges that you have at an emotional or spiritual level in life, you have to go back to the source and deal with that. And and in that, you may have to accept some really quite scary realities. Yes, and I would say to you, if anything has come up from listening to this program or any depth that matter any of the others get in touch you can get in touch with me at gina at genuinely hyphen you.com email me and i will do my best to help you um if you are suffering from depression if you are really struggling um that you have been abused and that is coloring the rest of your life get help you can contact me as a safe or contact a, a professional um around you that that will that you trust that will help you but don't suffer it. Don't be alone. Don't be isolated. Um, it is time to deal with it and to be able to move on rather than allow it to colour your whole life. Now, if you want to read the book, the series, I can thoroughly recommend mm-hmm. them. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, <could> you volunteer? <laughs> <Yes. laughs> the series is... <coughs> you okay, Jim? Yes, thank The you. series is Beyond Veils, and um, the third book is called The Hope of Us. And you'll find those on Amazon. You'll also find all my books on Amazon. <clears throat> you can also find me at the website, genuinely-u.com, um, or on uh, enlightenedleadership.co. I'm on Facebook. Please go and subscribe to YouTube. You'll find lots of materials there. That's Genuinely You with Gina Gardner. Um, I'm on Facebook and on Tumblr. So look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Bye-bye now.